Salofa Lava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. At the moment, the total response cost will be about 6 billion vatu. Damages are extensive in Vanuatu, and so are the costs towards its recovery. Also, and of course, the selection of a new Secretary General to replace the current Secretary General, Henry Punas, is a controversial choice. What can we expect from the Pacific Islands Forum with a controversial figure soon to be at the helm? And later on, get Parliament underway and, and start the lawmaking process again, because it's been several months now. The Cook Islands' new Parliament still hasn't had its first sitting since its general elections. Parts of Vanuatu remain completely cut off following twin cyclone disaster. The initial estimate of the recovery cost is 6 billion Vatu, or just under 50 million US dollars. Vanuatu's Prime Minister says while communication in Port Vila is for the most part up and running, Lines 2 Islands remain completely cut off. Speaking with RNZ Pacific's Lydia Lewis, Alatoi Ishmael Kausakau, says a hope is to have communication restored before the end of this week. He says the damage is extensive. Even though there's been tremendous assistance by thankful our donor partners from Australia, New Zealand, UK and France for responding in numbers and quantity to our calls, where at the same time, because our power lines are still being sorted out and we've had people come in from New Caledonia to help, and they're doing that as, as we speak, our communication lines are already back, but there's still some uh, complications because it requires the um, us to connect with uh, towers in, in the islands. And we're very grateful that uh, the HMAS Canberra is coming in uh, uh, this evening or, or first light tomorrow with three uh, helicopters, which will enable us to take our people to the islands. And there are about uh, quite a number of personnel as well, that are, that are on those boats to enable us to be able to get our communication lines up, our power lines up, so that it enable um, our area councils and area administrators to be able to provide the necessary information that we need. But at the same time, we've already started uh, dispatching uh, assistance to some of these islands and, and some of the people who are affected. What more support is needed? At the moment, uh, we're still taking a, a stock stock take, but uh, yes, we'll, we uh, will be able to give you an exact figure. At the moment, that uh, where total cost that's estimated for uh, is uh, total response cost will be about six billion baht, and um, we're relying on the information that is provided by a lot of these. Um, remote areas so that it enable us to be able to understand the, the the extent of the damage and the numbers that are affected and the ability for us to be able to deploy people to uh, to, to those areas uh, straight away. Which is the worst affected area? World Vision says it's Tafia. Can you please confirm so far which area is the worst affected? At the present time, it's looks as though the worst areas are Tafia and Shepa. The small islands of uh, Shepherd Islands that are just uh, outside of Efate have been very badly damaged as well as most of the places in uh, Irumango. And it's quite quite difficult to view that from the sky, but uh, from the reports that we've been receiving, there's been substantial damage uh, that, that the tropical cyclones have inflicted right throughout the, the, the southern islands.
And what reports have you heard coming from those areas? What are people going through at the moment in those hard-hit areas? Well, people, people uh, have no connection to Port Vila at the present time. Uh, they're, 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 they're trying to rebuild uh, their shelters. Uh, but it's difficult to, to gauge the, their reaction at the moment, but uh, very soon. At the moment, they're relying on uh, the local crops, uh, but uh, as, as time goes by, because of the, lot, the substantial rain, uh, we would need dry rations, but that's already on the way. How and when are they getting dry rations? The estimate is after three weeks, there will be a need for dry rations, but we've already anticipated that. And uh, some of the uh, response teams that are dispatched are dispatched with uh, dry rations as well to, so that they can uh, even either distribute those or have them ready in stock so that when there is a need, then we could just have them uh, distributed to people. We're really grateful. There are uh, numbers of soldiers from the French Navy as well as the uh, Australian Navy who have come in through are coming in through the boats and who have come in through uh, the seats uh, seven teams. And uh, yes, uh, we're, we're getting ourselves really organised. And uh, 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 rapid assessment teams are dispatched. The main thing, once we get our communication lines fully open and our power lines restored, we'll be able to get the figures right away. We have uh, a structure of governance that enables that information to be free-flowing, and then we'll be able to uh, probably make our assessments uh, there. Have you had any reports of deaths? Thankfully, thankfully, uh, there hasn't been a report of a, a you know, more uh, mortalities around Vanuatu, and, and that's what I'm really thankful about. We can rebuild our nation. You know, you would be able to replace uh, lives at all. At the moment, uh, I'm just reinforcing, uh, reinstilling confidence back in the system. I know this is the first time that we've uh, faced uh, two tropical cyclones and earthquake, but we, we've, we've developed this, uh, this ability to bounce back from, uh, and we have a bounce back from tropical uh, disasters, and we have a system in place that will enable us to start getting the system uh, back working, and it just needs the uh, reinstallation of confidence back into provincial centres just to enable them to start seriously focusing on the job and the task at hand uh, so that we're, when we put our hands together, hands together and our minds together, we'll be able to uh, achieve, achieve a lot in, in, in a short time. Was there anything else that you wanted to add for today's update? I'm just really grateful for the uh, coverage. We're so grateful. There has been tremendous support that's been extended for our families, around the world to Vanuatu during this time. The sooner we can get to more detailed information, I'll be happy to share that with you. Thank you very much for your time. All the best for today, Prime Minister. The Pacific Islands Forum leadership is claiming it's healed its divisions of recent years, but these assessments could be premature. The organisation agreed to a number of demands from the Micronesia members to ensure they remain in the club, but one of these decisions in particular, namely the appointment of controversial former Nauru President Baron Wanga as a new Secretary-General, could well unwind. 
Don Wiseman asked Dr. Anna Poles of the Centre for Security and Defence Studies at Massey University whether the forum leadership had shot itself in the foot with the concessions made. Certainly under the Suva Agreement, which was agreed uh, upon by four of the Micronesian members at last year's forum meeting and then subsequently with Kiribati and the General Addendum, which was signed off on at the Special Leaders Retreat. And uh, there certainly are strong moves to address the concerns of the Micronesian members who, as we will recall, all exited the, the forum last year. But the questions remain, though, because new um, institutions and mechanisms are being put in place. And, of course, the selection of a new secretary general to replace the current secretary general, Henry Puna, in 2024. And, and that choice is a controversial choice. Yes, well, it certainly is. Baron Wanga, well known, of course, to, to our listeners as the president for six years of Nauru during which time he didn't cover himself with glory. I think he made a, a number of controversial moves. Well, exactly. I mean, there's, there's uh, allegations of, of bribery. There are questions around human rights with respect to uh, refugees who are in Nauru and, and treatment regarding journalists, of course, you know, perhaps most famously for, for New Zealand listeners, Barbara Drever. So there are certainly concerns that he is a divisive choice uh, and there are concerns that, you know, certainly during his leadership of Nauru, he didn't necessarily acquit himself that well. And and there are strong concerns about what the implications are for regionalism. The position of Secretary General at the forum, there have been some stellar people in that post over the last 20 years or so. The diplomats, Greg Irwin, Dame Meg, and Judge Naroni Slade, and Henry Puna, I think himself, has uh, acquitted himself well in the post. And I can't see Baron Wanga continuing that process. It seems to have become purely a political decision. And, and a lot of these other things as well, there's no, there's no emphasis on the merit. Well, the question of merit is, is certainly one that's worrying. And, you know, you, you mentioned a, a number of extraordinary leaders that we've had, not least, of course, with Dame Meg Taylor as well. And so there is some, there is a sense that this was an opportunity to have another woman. And there are certainly a number of very high profile highly competent women in the region who could lead the Pacific Islands Forum and a number of whom come from those Micronesian member states. So the question of merit is obviously one which is going to be very closely watched once Baron Wanga takes up the role of SG. But there are other mechanisms which are which are going to be implemented, a return to having two deputy secretary generals from each of the sub-regions. So when Baron Wanga, if he assumes the role of SG, and that doesn't necessarily seem to be absolutely definitive at this stage, despite the fact that it was stated in the special leader's communique, which is quite unprecedented, but... Uh, only last week, the president of the Federated States of Micronesia, David Panuelo, suggested that not all of the Micronesian leaders were across some of those issues, which makes Baron Wanga such a controversial character. And, and he seemed to suggest in his interview that the door was being left, to a, left ajar to, to reconsider the nomination. So 
And that said, assuming that it is a confirmed choice, the two deputy secretary generals will hail from the two sub-regions of, of Melanesia and, and Polynesia. And so there is a return very much to ensuring sub-regional representation. There's a return to, as well, the importance of sub-regional organisations. And we see this through the creation of, of the Office of the Oceans Commissioner with the sub-regional office, the TIF sub-regional office in Micronesia, and a number of the other initiatives that are being put in place through the Suva Agreement and the, and the General Addendum. Did Henry Puna get shafted here? Oh, look, it's, it's difficult to say what took place, but he had indicated not so long ago to Radio New Zealand that he was enjoying the role of Secretary General and, and would like another go at it, another crack at it, potentially. But there was also, you know, people were very aware for the Micronesian members to return to the forum that representation at the highest level was something that they were not bending on. So there may be other positions that he could potentially take up, such as, for instance, the Pacific Islands Forum is opening an office in Washington, D.C. So that may be a role that he could potentially assume. Let's presume that Baron Wanga uh, does take up this role. He is a very strong uh, advocate for deep sea mining. The current chair of the Pacific Islands Forum, Mark Brown from the Cook Islands, he's also very keen on the idea of deep sea mining. Yet the Pacific Islands Forum has been very much about keeping the ocean pristine. So how do you marry those two concepts? Well, this is where I think we may actually see a, a fissure, a, a fracture in, in regionalism in, in, the, in the years to come over the issue of deep sea mining. And we have a quite a unusual situation where we have the Secretary General in, Bari, in Baron Wanga, who is um, very pro deep sea mining, as you said, the PIF Chair, Cook Island, also pro deep sea mining. There are two large deep sea mining exploration projects about to start in Nauru and, and in the Cook Islands this year. So it is something which is going to be of an enormous amount of concern because previously the Pacific Islands Forum uh, and certainly key members of it have been key proponents advocating very strongly against deep sea mining and the environmental impact of deep sea mining. So this is going to be potentially a, a very divisive issue. The Cook Islands is in the midst of its final electoral petition hearing, which has held up the sitting of the new parliament. The country held its general election in August last year, but the constitution requires all petition hearings to be completed before parliament can sit. The final petition claims that four winning votes in an electorate in Rarotonga are invalid. Cook Islands news reporter Matthew Littlewood talks to Caleb Fotheringham. Will this affect who becomes government? It won't necessarily affect who becomes government because with the independent MPs the Cook Islands Party is in coalition with, they have enough seats to govern along with their own. What it might affect is who's the representative of the Tiri Kaveka seat. Now, the Cook Islands Party's candidate, Sonny Williams, won that seat by three votes over the United Party candidates, Margaret Mintanga. So all four of the challenge votes get overturned, then Mintanga wins it. But if only three do then it triggers a by-election, and if it's only two, then he keeps his seat. Right, and have these election petition hearings affected Parliament sitting? Yes, they have, because there's a clause in the Constitution which says until all the petition hearings are completed, then you can't sit in Parliament. So yes, yes, they have affected it. The general election was in August, right? So that's a pretty long time. 
Yeah, it's a very long time. And there's a degree of frustration about that rule, not just from the, you know, soon-to-be governing Crown's party, but also from the opposition parties as well, who basically want to get Parliament underway and, and start the lawmaking process again, because it's been several months now. Yeah, is this the longest time between the election to Parliament actually sitting? We're trying to get some information from the Clerk of Parliament about that, actually, and whether that's the case. But it will certainly be amongst the longest time between the election result being decided and Parliament actually sitting. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a very long time. So you said that there's frustration with both the government, well, soon-to-be government and the opposition party. Do you think they are going to change this rule? Uh, Yes. In fact, that was one of the first things on Prime Minister Mark Brown's list when they do get into Parliament is to make a change to the Constitution which will allow them to still sit while um, petition hearing decisions are pending. Um, As far as we can tell, um, both Tina Brown from the Cook Islands Democrat Party and uh, Tiriki Heather, the leader of the Cook Islands United Party, both seem to think this is a good idea. So I I think that law will will get passed once it's put through. And, And when do you think the petition hearing will finish? It's due to finish sometime this week. They had the opening addresses yesterday. Today they've got a day off, so all the parties involved can be if they're summing up uh, tomorrow. And from then, the justice overseeing this has indicated he wants to get move this on pretty sharpish. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get a result sometime by the end of this week. When do you think Parliament will sit after this petition hearing? <laughs> that's, that's another story altogether. They're hoping, I think, for that to happen this month, but who knows from here. There's been a lot of discussion that Parliament and the, and the process of democracy shouldn't be held up by these petitions, really, because at the end of the day, Cook Islands Party, with their coalition partners, have the numbers in Parliament to get lawmaking started. There's obviously been multiple petitions, but there would have been petitions after previous elections. How come these petitions took so long to get through? I, I I think in the case of the other petitions, which have all been um, struck down, it was the complexity of them. They were arguing a lot of things which, which were precedent-setting, really, um, especially in regards to the petitions accusing uh, government policy of being bribery. Now, that's a, a new idea, really. So that required a lot of toing and froing and quite serious uh, deliberation from the judge involved in that one. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to a device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Pafitai te lover, Manuele Vayaso.